This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Upland Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we talk wing shooting and wildlife biology with Meadow Kaufeld, Bailey Peterson, and Heather Shaw. Welcome to the show for episode number 96. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. I don't know about you all, but being cooped up inside, I have spent an excessive amount of time in my Onyx Hunt app, reliving some hunts from last fall, planning for hunts this spring and later this year. All my data, my waypoints, even some of my memories are stored away in that Onyx Hunt app. I love it. If you haven't tried Onyx Hunt, you owe it to yourself to check it out. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, out in the field, how you prepare determines how you perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance, so when that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. Strong, focused, ready for anything, that is a Yukonuba dog. And by Gumleaf USA, high-quality, handcrafted, premium rubber boots that stand the test of time. It's Gumleaf season, everybody. You got to get outside. It's wet. It's muddy. It's dirty. No better time to test out a pair of Gumleaf boots from GumleafUSA.com. Go to their website, check out their boots, and use the promo code PUP10 to save 10% from Gumleaf USA. And by CZ USA Shotguns. Shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White Sharp Tail Side by Sides to the Upland Ultralight Wing Shooter Elite Over and Unders. They've got semi autos, they've got pumps. There's not much that CZ USA doesn't have. If you are an Upland Bird Hunter interested in a new shotgun, head over to cz-usa.com to learn more about all of their shotguns. 
and by Turnbull Restoration Company, the most recognized name in antique and vintage firearm restoration, period correct metal finishes, custom reproductions of iconic firearms. They've been at it for 35 years. If you want to learn more about what Turnbull Restoration could do for you, head over to turnbullrestoration.com forward slash upland, where you can see a photo essay documenting the entire restoration process of a Parker shotgun. That's turnbullrestoration.com forward slash upland. And finally by Dakota 283 Kennels. Kennels built to last a lifetime. One piece rotomold design, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Head over to dakota283.com today. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Kevin M. Project Upland t-shirt headed his way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. Leave the show a rating. Leave us a review in your podcast app. Click those stars and leave us a review. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the podcast. Send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, hope everybody is staying sane, healthy, safe. I imagine most of you are spending lots of time at home like myself, spending lots of time with the family. Got the dog here. It's not so bad. We'll get through this. And while we're all getting through it together, we're going to keep the Upland content coming your way. Got some fun stuff coming up for you. Keep your eyes and ears open for some more stuff on Instagram Live. We're doing some virtual happy hours last Friday. Myself, Tyler Webster, Ron Bame, and Doug of Soggy Dog Gear got together via YouTube. We spent a couple hours broadcasting live interacting with some listeners and followers, answered people's questions, had a ton of fun. We will be doing that again on a weekly basis for the foreseeable future. Stay tuned for more of that and stay tuned for more top-notch Upland content coming your way at projectupland.com. All right, we're going to jump into today's episode with three awesome guests with us on the Project Upland podcast, Meadow Kaufeld, Bailey Peterson, and Heather Shaw, all three of which are trained and educated wildlife biologists slash wing shooters, and they are a wealth of knowledge individually and collectively. And the three of them got together last fall to chase spruce grouse together in northern Minnesota as part of the public grouse film. We talk about most of that on today's episode, but I have to warn you, we had some very unfortunate technical difficulties that resulted in losing the last third of our conversation. I tried to salvage what I could, but it proved to be quite a challenge. So about 40 minutes into our interview today, we transition to talking about the spruce grouse hunt specifically, and the episode is going to abruptly end shortly thereafter. So my apologies in advance for that, but I owe the listeners an episode, so we're putting this out, and we certainly didn't need a specific reason to have these three ladies back on the Project Dublin podcast, but now we have a reason to bring them back, so we will certainly make that happen at some point in the future. All right, with that in mind, I hope you enjoy today's conversation, and let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Dublin podcast, Meadow Kalfeld, Bailey Peterson, and Heather Shaw. All right, let's do it. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Project Upland podcast. We we have not one, not two, but three awesome guests with us here on the Project Upland podcast. I can see all three of them via my video screen on my laptop. You can't, listeners. It's it's unfortunate, but we're going to start and go clockwise. We'll start to the top right of my screen. Meadow Kalfeld, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your association to uh, upland hunting and bird dogs. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me here on the show. Um, I guess, you know, I've been hunting for a long time. Started out with a Jack Russell, uh, one of my first bird dogs. But, um, you know, I'm a wildlife biologist, much like the other ladies on the show today. And I grew up raising show poultry. So game birds and chicken-like birds have always been a fascination and love of mine and certainly hasn't changed. It's carried on into my adult life and just about every facet of it. So the Jack Russell, that would have been back in the, the California days, right? Yeah, we we started out with a hodgepodge of dogs, but the first dog I really used for quail hunting was a wire Jack Russell named Patron. And it wasn't after the tequila, it meant... Uh, cartridge in Dutch because my father's from the Netherlands and he always wanted to name a dog Patron for some reason. 
And I know you're, uh, when I was at the Rough Grouse Society, you were there as well, Meadow. So definitely uh, your wildlife biologist background. Today you are, uh, you're, well, everybody's, uh, everybody's jobs have, have been shaken up a little bit recently with, uh, with the quarantining. And we, we, uh, we might talk about some of, uh, some of your favorite quarantining therapy strategies that, uh, we can recommend to listeners, but what are you up to these days? Cause I know you're still involved with forestry and, and education. Yeah, I actually am a college instructor. I teach at Atasca Community College here in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. And I'm in the natural resources department. It's primarily focused on forestry, but I teach a lot of the wildlife and uh, forest ecology oriented courses as well as focus on the fire academy. So as much as I tried to avoid becoming a firefighter, um, I ended up becoming involved with fire regardless. So uh, again, a lot of facets of uh, forest ecology, including fire and forest management still. Awesome. All right. Our next guest, we're going to drop down and introduce Heather Shaw to the Project Up and Podcast audience. Heather, how are you doing tonight? Great, Nick. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Heather, people may be, uh, may be familiar with you, but if they're not, tell us a little bit about what you do, your association to upland hunting and upland birds and all the stuff we talk about on the Project Upland podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the regional wildlife biologist for the Rough Grouse Society in the eastern Great Lakes region. So I cover all of Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. I live in the UP now of Michigan, just south of Marquette, and spend most of my time uh, hunting around here and trying to get together with other friends uh, when I can during grouse season and trying to expand some opportunities and head westward a little bit and diversify uh, and uh, additional upland birds that I pursue. But yeah, my background is in uh, game bird ecology uh, in management as well. And I've been with the Rough Grass Society for four years now. So I've got um, a three-year-old Llewellyn Sutter and have inherited through my better half as well, uh, two other younger Britneys. So we spend as much time as we possibly can in the grouse woods and are absolutely loving and looking forward to this season. Awesome. And last, but certainly not least my North shore cohort, Bailey Peterson from two harbors, Minnesota. Bailey, how's it going? It's going good, Nick. How about you? Excellent. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Project Up and Podcast. I would say long overdue for all of our guests on the podcast, but I'm I'm glad that we were able to get everybody together on the same one. And uh, what better time to do it? We're all kind of like really stuck at home. We were what actually some of the delay in this is we were trying to figure out a way that we could all get together to record this podcast because we were at a little bit of proximity, but we needed Heather to get over this way so he could make the connection. But now uh, with uh, with basically everybody on kind of lockdown or at least self-quarantining, we're, we figured why not do it virtually. Bailey, tell us a little bit about what you do as a wildlife biologist. Um, sure. I'm the assistant area wildlife manager for the DNR uh, up in Two Harbors, Minnesota. My work area is pretty much the counties that border Lake Superior uh, to the Boundary Waters. Um, my job duties are mostly dealing with the public, whether they have questions, concerns, they want to know where to hunt. Um, and uh, also a good chunk of my time, about 50% of my time, is um, working with our local foresters. I should say our state foresters uh, and advising them on wildlife habitat concerns or other things like that on uh, upcoming timber stand, uh, tim- timber sales, I should say. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your bird dog family. Um, I have a seven-year-old golden retriever, a five-year-old small Munsterlander, and a one-year-old Llewellyn Setter. And when did, obviously seven years ago, you got the golden, but was that your first hunting dog? Were bird dogs a part of your life at all before that? No, um, I had grown up with dogs. I always had dogs, but those were always some variation of uh, terriers from a small um, fox terrier up to Airedale terriers. And while they thought they were hunting dogs, uh, they certainly weren't bird hunting dogs. So <laughs> that came later. Uh, Meadow, we, we we didn't talk about, well, we talked about the Jack Russell, but tell us a little bit about your dogs. And then I actually would be curious to hear about how you got started hunting. Meadow. I kind of, I know some of this, but I got to remember that the listeners don't, but talk about your intro to upland hunting and that sort of thing. Well, uh, I guess I'll start with my intro. My father, uh, he had, we didn't have bird dogs because he raised poultry. And my mom always said bird dogs and chickens don't mix. And I agree. (laughs) It's not a good combination. Unless you don't like your chickens. 
Um, but yeah, my dad uh, called my sister and I as golden retrievers. And so on the glorious first of September every year when dove season opened uh, and then in, on into fall, we were the kids that would go and run and grab his uh, doves as they fell. And bird hunting was for men when I was growing up, but he always brought the pheasants and the geese and the ducks home and had us pluck them for him, which when you look back at it, you're like, man, what the heck? But we both loved that and uh, kept us involved. And, but yeah, so we, we, you know, I never really had a bird dog until college and I had a wire haired pointing griffin for a short period of time um, that I lost. Uh, it wasn't that I lost a dog, but I ended up with my partner at the time when we separated. And then I didn't have another dog until uh, my last semester in graduate school. And that's when I had been doing a lot of research and dreaming, of course, and had settled on Deutschstrathaars. And I got my first dog out of Woodbury. And she's nine now. And uh, she's she's just as uh, ornery as ever. And I have a son of hers from my A litter. Uh, he is uh, going on four years now. And that's Aches von uh, Himmelwasser. And we have two setters. I have Betty, who I share with Marty Nguyen, my partner. And she's a field bread setter. And then we have Butch. And Butch is going on 13 years old. And Butch is another field bread setter. And we have actually a litter of setters on the way. Oh, really? Um, we bred Betty here a couple weeks ago. She's, I think she's starting to show some signs. But yeah, so Marty's uh, old man, Butch, is up for replacement. I'm not obviously going to put him down or anything. But yeah. uh, Marty needs another dog to run because we usually hunt together but separate. We have very different styles. But, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we, we've got another, another batch on the, on the way so that we have a replacement dog for him. So plans to keep one, two puppies out of litter or not sure yet? I'm not sure yet. You know, we, we only had one tie, so we'll see what the size of the litter is. I ended up having to go to California right after that, but I'm hoping for more than one, um, heaven forbid a singleton, but we, uh, will certainly keep one as a replacement dog and a couple other folks are hoping that, um, there'll be some pups left over, but you never know how that goes. And sure. I tell myself that if they're, I always say, doesn't matter the color or the sex, if there's a dog in the litter uh, that I have preference for, it's not like I'm a professional breeder or anything. I don't have to create a breeding program. I just uh, look for the dog I like. Yeah. Um, was the, so you bred Betty. What um, was the stud dog? Anybody, any dog in particular or? Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I am not one to make decisions off of emotions. But Marty really loves his old butch dog. Okay. And um, we found a half-brother. It was the sires of Butch and this male's last litter. And I think they bred him when he was in his teens. Really? Um, yeah. And uh, he was like 15 or something crazy like that. But they had a litter. This male, who is a very nice male, um, he's not a huge title winner or anything along those lines. He's a super high-powered dog. Very nice temperament, very nice dog, but he is half brother to Marty's butch dog. So we're bringing some butch back in, despite my best <laughs> judgment. <laughs> Again, emotions. Well, exciting stuff, puppy on yeah. the way. That's cool. Hopefully, all goes well with that for sure. As we know, there's uh, there's no sure things in that kind of stuff, but yeah, that's uh, that's exciting on the horizon. Uh, Heather, talk about a little bit about your intro to upland hunting. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So, um, I came up in a angling family and we spent a lot of time outdoors and spent a lot of time in the backcountry and wilderness and Michigan. I'm a native Michigander. Um, my parents were both pilots and I grew up as a rodeo girl showing horses and, and barrel racing. So that was, that was my entire upbringing. I didn't really have time for much else and um, was definitely an adult onset hunter and got into hunting um, a little bit later in life, just in my a 19, 20, 21 uh, phase, if you will. <laughs> and was immediately introduced into wing shooting and up on hunting too. And that became my biggest passion. I mean, between I actually cut my teeth in duck hunting and was a diehard waterfowler to start out with and have been grouse hunting now about 12 years, 13 years. So my passion was definitely driven from wing shooting is just kind of evolved and my style and the dogs that I've had as well have, have evolved as well. Chip's my first, um, my first setter, my first pointing dog. I had uh, a lab prior to that too. And, um, yeah, it's it's just an, an interesting evolution in my philosophy, my style of hunting, and and where my uh, my passion and my pursuits really lie now. And I couldn't be happier. I mean, I, I feel like I have definitely found 
my my sweet spot and my my absolute passion for hunting i mean i I pursue all games still and still try to fish as much as I can too, but yeah, I really got into it a little bit later in life, and my family's joined me a few times as well, but I could not be more thankful just to come into the upland hunting community um when I did and become as passionate as I obviously am now, just due to the relationships and the sense of community and the, the friendships and bonds that I've made. Uh, just from upland hunting in general. You know, I, I haven't found that anywhere else, and it's really evolved and developed over the past few years. And the upland community, I mean, we're, we're necessarily, a, you know, we're not a small community by any means, but it really feels like we're more of a tight-knit community, and it's absolutely fantastic. So I, I couldn't be happier with that. So, yeah, um, still uh, have rodeo dreams on the horizon, if I can uh, <laughs> pursue it and if my knees will allow me to survive uh, a few more years of barrel racing i'd love to still pursue that too um i just recently moved to the up within the past six months so i'm just getting my getting my feet wet here and, and really enjoying it and loving life and really excited about um some some fun adventures that we've got uh, in store for us here now yeah the upland community can uh, can kind of sweep you away aj and i always like to refer to it as a niche with within a niche you know it's <laughs> so true. it is a pretty small i mean it's a small tight-knit community, relatively speaking, for sure. Was there a, was, I'll be curious, I'll ask all three of you this, was there one person or one or two people or anybody that like, like was like really um, a critical like person in your life that got you into upland bird hunting? A mentor, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Heather, we can start with sure. you. Uh, no, you know, and that's such a good question, Nick. Um, for me, honestly, <laughs> you guys may laugh at this, but um, I have been really self-taught in most of my hunting pursuits, if not all of my hunting pursuits. That comes with fault, for sure. You know, by no means am I, am I perfect and I make mistakes and I am always a student to the game that I pursue. And I'm always a student to the bird and I'm always learning with my dog. My dogs teach me more than I could, could ever imagine to know, I think, every time I'm out in the field. So, um, yeah, no, I don't know if I'm, I know I'm not unique in that case, but. I kind of had to tread my way through on my own. And, and I, in some senses, I still feel like I am, uh, which is great. But now, even more so, since I've been working um, with the Rough Grouse Society over the past four years and before that, you know, was just kind of getting my feet wet and becoming a member too, I found mentors and I found amazing friends and folks that have helped me learn more about my dog, learn more about myself, push me to be better, to be a better hunter, to be more aware of my surroundings, more appreciative of everything that is put in front of me too, and, and just really enjoy the experience and learn and live in the moment too. So, um, you know, I've had some amazing mentors and friends more now so that I feel like I'm a more advanced upland hunter than when I was really starting out and kind of getting my feet wet. And I think I'd prefer it that way now if I could look back and do it all again. I'd, <laughs> I'd still go through those trials and tribulations and trudge through and try to figure everything out the same way, I think. Yeah, there's certainly a sense of like uh, satisfaction that you get from feeling like you kind of work through a lot of those challenges on your, and you ha everybody has to do that to a certain extent. But right. like, like you said, once you, once you kind of break through the initial barrier and then you have this level of competence, you can talk to other people, other up and hunters, people within the community, then you kind of really immerse yourself. And then at that point, it's as much as you put in, you get back, you know, tenfold. And that's how you learn from everybody else. Absolutely. Awesome. Bailey, what about you? Any, any mentor or like, like, uh, like direct connections that took you hunting the first time and that was it and never looked back? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think my story is sort of similar to Heather's, um, in that I've had a lot of people, um, who were willing to offer help along the way, but, um, I guess as biologists or field biologists, um, we spend a good bit of time, um, out by ourselves doing our field work. And, and I think like uh, my first job out of college was working with the University of Minnesota on a on a woodcock, a woodcock research project, and uh, oh really? It's kind of funny because like I could have worked for Meadow uh, on her grouse research project, but instead I <laughs> I worked on a woodcock research project. My choice. Um, you didn't want anything to do. With I know Meadow. I was. It's nothing <laughs> against Meadow. I didn't know her yet. I didn't know her. <laughs> um, yeah, how things could be different or the same. I don't know. But um, that's funny. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, just a lot of nights and early mornings spent alone um, out in the woods and something you just see like really amazing things. And you'd see super cool stuff and you're just jumping up and down, but you didn't have anybody to share it with except like write it down or call somebody about it and tell them later. But uh, a lot of those um, fond memories that I learn about birds, I was 
you know, learning on my own. Um, that's sort of the case uh, with all the field work, I guess, that I do, which is where I feel like I've learned the most about the birds. Um, I was lucky early on um, to have coworkers that uh, I guess you consider of the older generation, um, folks that are long retired now, but they were always willing to offer advice when I'd ask about uh, what size shot shell do I use for that kind of bird. And, um, you know, I, I guess I wasn't afraid to ask those questions, but they certainly never made me feel like I was asking any sort of dumb or silly question. Yeah, Bailey, I mean, you, you're, you are fortunate in that you get to spend quite a bit of time in the field. I mean, when you, obviously you have, you've got a busy job, but you get to be out there enough and you live in a, you live in a spot where you have access to the wilderness. Not, not so much different than myself really, but I, I always kind of look to like, you're out in the places where I want to be every day and, <laughs> and, you know, taking pictures of moose habitat and, and all kinds of stuff. I know it was a, I think it was a couple of weeks ago you posted a picture of Mogul or something and he was he was pointing, I think, and there was no snow. And I like I got furious. I'm like, where is Bailey where there's no snow? I know she's further north of me. Like there this is not real. And it was a picture from last fall, wasn't it? Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> something but, like that. <laughs> yep. We've been pretty fortunate to go a little bit crazy with it and travel as much as yeah. we can, especially the last few years since we got really into the uplands. Yep, you got some dog power now too, so you and AJ can can take those trips. We'll definitely definitely talk about that a little bit. Meadow, was it your dad? Was there was there anybody else that specifically kind of steered you towards upland hunting or anything like that? No, I did a little bit of upland hunting with my dad, but reality, I was more focused on big game when I was growing up because that's what my dad did with us for the most part. And it wasn't really until college. And then I actually started out waterfowling quite a bit for six or seven years on the Pacific Northwest there on the coast. And over in Northeastern California a little bit. And, you know, I met a lot of great folks. Uh, one person that stands out as far as someone that knew a lot about versatile dogs and upland hunting back then was Don Bachman. We went to college together and uh, grew a couple other folks, Orlando Roca, Brendan Lynch, folks like that, that, um, you know, it's this kind of stereotypical, you get somebody that, something I always overlooked was waterfowl hunting and never really something that interested me much when I was a kid. I grew up in a dry part of the state. And then, of course, in college, it kind of took off, and there was a lot of passion there. And I got to go on a few ladies' hunts for, you know, planted pheasants and stuff, and really enjoyed that. But truthfully, it wasn't until I moved to Minnesota that I really had a solid focus on Upland. And uh, it was in 2009 when I met my ex-husband, and he was, you know, he had the nice over-under, and he had two labs, and it was one of those things that, you know, I'd hunted with my advisor a bit and didn't have the best experience. But I, there was a moment when I shot my first grouse on the wing over his two-year-old lab. And that, for me, was that solidifying moment. So it's hard to say, but there have been a lot of men that have gotten me into birds. But uh, after that point, you know, once I got my own dog, it, it just kind of was all me from there on, it was really kind of something different. And then I actually got my ex-husband into pointing dogs. He now has drops. So yeah. uh, it's one of those things that, you know, it's like some of the ladies have alluded to, there's this culture, this, there's a lot of people along the way. It's not just one person. There's many souls there that have got me to where I'm at and um, have influenced me and including all three of you in one form or manner. So it's just one of the things I can't think of anybody in one particular person, but others that yeah. share the same love. Yeah, I would, I would certainly, uh, you know, I would echo that. Like if I posed the question to myself, you know, there were people, you know, my dad exposed me to my first grouse hunts and we went and we did it a certain way, but like the way that I hunt today is evolved based on everybody that I've come in contact with. And that would include the three people that I'm talking to, like you said, Meadow. I mean, so it's, yeah, it is a, it's an evolution really, as, as you kind of go through this journey as not only an upland hunter, but a hunter and an outdoors person in general. I think, I think we all would kind of kind of agree with that. So, um, awesome. Awesome. I think we got some intros out of the way and stuff. I want to talk season recaps a little bit, Bailey. Let's, let's just start with you. We have a pretty good, again, we talked about like everybody's busy here, but most of the people here get to be in the woods quite a bit, or we pursue upland hunting and it's, it's a lot of rough grouse and woodcock hunting, I think, but we can talk about some of the other stuff, but I want to talk a little bit about your 2019 fall season uh and if you extended into 2020 unlike myself um where did you go what did you do and then most importantly what did you see 
uh, and I'm, I'm selfishly thinking for rough grouse and woodcock in this neck of the woods, but how was your season, Bailey? Oh, it was pretty good. We started Montana early season as we have the last several years. For anybody that knows my husband, they know that I have to include a fishing component to be able to go on a good bird hunting trip far away. That's but, a strict uh, requirement of AJ's. <laughs> it's not, but it certainly <laughs> helps. And uh, so we started over in northwestern Montana, uh, just west of Glacier, for a little cast and blast over there. Um, did some grayling, cutthroat fishing, and then we um, got into some of the Franklin subspecies of spruce grouse over there. So that was our pup's first bird, first wild bird, I guess. And Hatchet? Then, yep, Hatchet's first. Um, and I guess that was not Mogul's first spruce grouse, but it was his first Franklin's that he got there. And then we headed east back to the uh, northeast corner of Montana and did our sharptail and hun hunt. Um, and then back to Minnesota for rough grouse opener and woodcocks the following weekend. We still do add in um, our waterfall uh, opener every year. And then mostly my husband will do more waterfall hunting now. But yeah, we did quite a bit of grouse and woodcock hunting this year Yeah, um, as much as we could. This year we really did add in a lot more of those after work hunts too and just adding as many new places to go as we can and we checked out for every spot we returned to I think we probably checked out four to five new ones so we really tried to get to new spots and we were rewarded at most of them. It was a pretty good year. We didn't see huge broods but we did get into lots I'd say um, of consistent numbers of birds. Uh, what we did have was a pretty late hatch, so we had pretty small mm-hmm. birds at the beginning of the season, if I remember correctly. We did our spruce grouse hunt for public grouse. That was that was towards pretty the end early. of September. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It did seem pretty early. After that, we went uh, further east to the UP of Michigan for the first time and hunted with Kyle Warren. Hatchets breeder, Paint River Llewellyn's, and that was awesome. Saw a lot of birds over there. And then back down to southern Minnesota for the pheasant opener. This That was the third year I was a mentor for the uh, guided women's hunt at the governor's pheasant opener. That was okay. It was a full-on blizzard. So a lot more waterfall than we saw pheasants. That's okay. Um, yeah, didn't just grouse and woodcock till the woodcock were gone. Um, and then deer season, I have to take a, a pretty long break due to uh, chronic wasting disease in Minnesota. I spend a lot of weekends and weekdays uh, sampling for that. So that takes up a bit of November and then, yeah, close out the grouse season with a whole lot of snow here uh, in Minnesota. And then uh, the dogs and I did help with the spruce grouse research project this year during the hunting season. So that took away a few of our weekends, but it was time well spent. What is the... I'm a little bit familiar with that. We won't dive too deep into it at this juncture, but what does the fall part of that study look like? Oh, so the the fall part's the part where we're mostly using dogs um, before the birds spend the majority of their time up in the trees. Okay. So, um, yeah, they'll point them on the ground, and then ideally they'll flush into a lower the lower branches of the tree so we can catch them and put the radio collars on them. So you're trying to capture them at that point. Yeah, we're trying to radio collar the females. Um, okay. Real briefly, the the goal that um, particular project was to capture and put radio collars on females that are on spruce grass that are in no stands that are timber stands that are going to be harvested this year, and then see where those birds go gotcha. uh, post timber okay. harvest. So pretty neat, something that hasn't really been done before. Uh, and then real briefly, 2020 came. We went down to Nebraska um, and hunted quail for the first time, and that was a blast. Yeah, you kind of went all over the place this year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did hunt one day in Wisconsin too. So. Oh yeah, I remember that. You mentioned that when you were <laughs> yeah. you were heading. How'd you do down there? Okay. Uh yeah yeah same. I mean. It's you bird. you meant you hit on a couple things that I would uh, they kind of resonated with me. I I almost forgotten. There definitely was seemingly a very late hatch. I there were some very small birds that I saw and bagged early in the season. That was for sure. But. My experience, it was a very productive hatch. Generally speaking, there was a lot of young birds in the woods relative to 2017 and 2018. So that was positive. But but then also, like you, I felt like this was one of those years where you really got rewarded for exper- uh, trying new spots, going new places. The birds seemed to be very well dispersed across. And I, you know, this is Minnesota and Wisconsin, and it felt like felt like a year where 
you were finding birds where you felt like you should be finding them. So sounds like that was similar for you, Bailey. Meadow, how about your how about your season, 2019 upland bird season? Well, first off, I want to say Bailey's understating herself because she had an epic <laughs> season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to hunt upland as much as I normally do. I did do some big game trips um, starting in August that kind of took away from it into October. But, uh, you know, I focused on rough grouse and woodcock. Our pheasant season was pretty much moot considering the snow that we got. Um, didn't seem to me to be worthwhile going down to southwest Minnesota to hunt like I normally would. But uh, grouse and woodcock season went well. Uh, you know, birds were really patchy. Um, they weren't some places where they normally would be weren't there. And then I had really good numbers elsewhere. And recruitment ratios were really good. I felt pretty uh, confident in the hatch over in some of my areas uh, north of Grand Rapids. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I have a pretty flexible schedule outside of my classes and meeting obligations. And one of the things that I do enjoy is getting a chance to take people out that haven't been before or are new to grouse and woodcock. And uh, so I managed to get out with the R3 committee for a meeting and a few students uh, this year. But for the most part, you know, it's just a regular grouse and woodcock after work, before work, um, weekends, you know, staying at the cabin. And I made a couple uh, road trips when I was scouting for the uh, spruce grouse project and got into some new areas that I really enjoyed. But yeah, you know, I, I uh, the big game still gets in the way. <laughs> My dogs, uh, they, they get to hunt when I'm gone, but um, certainly don't have well, as good. cool a career as Bailey when it comes to covering those road miles. I was pretty envious this year. You guys had some pretty epic trips. <laughs> Heather, how about yourself? How was your season? This was a really awesome season and full of a lot of uh, a few learning curves, I think, too. So the past few years in Michigan, our season has started off with 80, 90 degree days. Uh, you know, our, our grouse season opens, woodcock season opens. Um a few weeks after this, but grouse season opens September 15th and it's been 80, 90 degrees. So if we're actually still pursuing birds, it's first thing in the morning or later on in the afternoon. And we're obviously mm -hmm. trying to target um, specific cover and, and certain resources that birds will be looking for and utilizing at that point in time. But it's just hard on the dogs. It's hard on us. And it's, it's downright crappy. So I have self-invited myself to join Bailey and AJ on a sharp tail hunt, potentially in Montana this year, if it's still that hot <laughs> in Michigan, uh, right before uh, rough grouse season opener in Michigan. But anyway, um, this year was really interesting. So we had an abundance of food resources. We had an explosive amount of soft mass and you name it, species that we haven't really seen a bumper crop of were uh, very prolific throughout the state, which made it really interesting. Um, we couldn't necessarily in any certain region of the state, Upper Peninsula included, really say that birds were concentrated on one food source, which definitely, of course, posed its challenges to some of the areas that a lot of our Michiganders and folks that come out of state um, found hunting birds and pursuing birds this year. So people were either in them, I think, this year, or they weren't. Uh, we still, of course, have a really robust population in Michigan. Um, but for my first season in the UP, I was here for the entire season. I was blown away at, at the bird numbers that we were um, that we were encountering, and we've got two young dogs that we're working with this year, and and one that's really just dialed in and, and dialed herself in and really turned it on this year that we were really impressed by too. So we had um, a lot of bird exposure, and we were really happy about that. We had uh, also some interesting spurts of flights between wood woodcock. There weren't any um, really major flights, so I head out the first week of October. Um, with the Rough Grouse Society to go over and, and guide as a huntsman and help um, to put on, uh, all staff do for the Rough Grouse Society, put on the National Grouse and Woodcock Hunt in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. So I had a chance to hunt with Meadow and Bailey a few weeks prior to that in Minnesota, came back, hunted for a weekend, cruised back over to uh, to Minnesota to spend a week there and still had a chance to at least get out and, and kind of scout my hunt area and get an idea on birds. And I was happy with, with birds that I got into there as well too, but the weather really turned and and made some conditions pretty poor and I think pushed a lot of woodcock out at that point in time. So by the time I got back, I think a lot of those northern birds had already started to kind of move through um, at least the Upper Peninsula. And I didn't really hear of any major other um, flight events uh, for people really getting in hot and heavy into woodcock in the northern lower and, and central Michigan until the season was almost closed too. So 
that was kind of interesting. I think Woodcock flights were a little bit different this year than what we've seen in previous years. And again, I mean, I've, I've heard um, varying reports in Michigan. I, we came into a lot of birds, and I was really happy, again, just locally. Our grouse camp's a half hour away. We can hunt right, right out of the back door if, if we wanted to and get into birds, too. And birds were, were very uh, prolific in the UP. Um, but some areas that I've hunted in the northern lower just weren't really weren't really turning it on uh, this year, too. So it's interesting. You know, I've, I've heard varying things. Um, and it's uh, just something to kind of keep in mind as we move forward. I didn't really have a chance to hunt um, too much late season. We got out a little bit. We had huge snow events by Thanksgiving. We were under yep. over a foot of snow. So that definitely limited getting out, especially with uh, with some setter breeds and, you know, some some dogs that uh, don't have as tight of a coat, maybe can't handle uh, some of the some of the deeper snow as well. Um, but we did have a chance to at least um, – get out right before season closed actually uh my my better half eric and our friend jesse went out and i was supposed to join them and i should have actually went out and hunted on snowshoes and got into a couple birds got a few birds that last day that they could too of uh, the rest of the season that was awesome just to see them put the effort in and go hunt birds on snowshoes too and and be successful there was a lot of good local uh, local coverage of that so yeah we had a great season i can't complain Awesome. Yeah, we definitely did get uh, covered up in snow. That's that's what uh, I I probably had mentioned this before, but that brought my season to an abrupt halt, and it was partially in that I I assume that you know after the deer seasons die down here, I usually get back out and hunt. And sometimes you can have some really awesome hunting if the snow holds off. You can have some of your best grouse hunting in kind of that late November December time frame. But this year there was a lot of snow, and I just was quite content with the season up until that point. I just never got back out and got busy with family and holidays and everything. But it's it's interesting. Everybody has. That's why I ask, obviously, because everybody has these unique experiences and you all have your own hunts in your own places. And um, with the Woodcock flights, I felt like for me this year was kind of like what you talked about, Heather. It was, I felt like I always, I'm always finding Woodcock when I'm hunting, but I didn't see heavy, heavy flights this year, but then talk to the next person and they felt it was like the craziest Woodcock year ever. You know, it's hard to, hard to read through that stuff and not that you really need to understand it. We all, we all went out and hunted on our own, but felt that was that was kind of interesting um so the three of you ladies uh you all kind of hinted at it but you all met up in minnesota for with our buddy uh project upland friend will sensing uh cameraman filmographer extraordinaire he shot a film about the three of you going spruce grouse hunting in minnesota so i would like to talk a little bit about spruce grouse we've never really taken a deep dive on them bailey i'd forgot that you went out and hunted the uh the franklin spruce grouse out west is there so there are subspecies is that i'm i'm no wildlife biologist here but is that kind of like a geographical thing is there a lot of differences between the two species as you've obviously seen both of them up close and personal uh i might deflect a meadow a little bit because i know she knows a lot but um yeah i think what we have in minnesota is called the canada subspecies and there there are some differences uh looks wise um i would say the ones that we saw in montana were, were maybe a little bit bigger body size but otherwise i mean they are the same species species so that that tells you that the differences are are sort of slim but they do exist meadow anything to add well, it's kind of the difference between like a greater sage grouse and a gunnison sage grouse. Okay. You know, the, the tail, the terminal band is very narrow to non-existent on the Franklins, whereas the Canada subspecies of spruce grouse has got that nice chestnut or orangish mm-hmm. colored uh, terminal band. But um, it's pretty minor, like Bailey said, outside of coloration and some behavioral differences. Okay. All right. So public grouse in northern Minnesota spruce grouse hunting the goal was to go out and find spruce grouse i have over the years i've hunted the country i know generally where you were hunting and we don't even really need to get into that here it was northern minnesota but i've i've been up there i've hunted i've seen spruce grouse i've bagged a few but i i don't i've never really pursued them in oh, Nick, you, specific, you probably specific. should have chose to do the spruce grouse film and we could have gone in on the <laughs> carp tails <laughs> well, <laughs> I mm-hmm. was totally happy doing the <laughs> sharp tail, sharp tail segment. <laughs> uh, so how hard is spruce grouse hunting, Bailey? Well, I guess it depends on the pursuit that you're interested in. Um, yeah. The terrain is unforgiving and, and I mean, I guess the cover is unforgiving. The terrain is 
it's not so bad, but um, yeah, eleven. Lots of evergreen, heavy yeah. cover, right? Yep. So they uh, the saying is if you know you can walk through it and not lose your hat or get poked in the eye, it's not thick enough for spruce grouse. So I really just feel bad for Will for you know, <laughs> carry camera gear through all that for two days. <laughs> I think he, uh, I think he maybe had made some comments too that that yeah, that was a that was a tough one for Will. <laughs> I don't think he enjoyed it that much. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I mean. Did you take it easy on him or, or was it straight into the heart? Not really. I don't think he got wet or anything. (laughs) Yeah. Like you said, I mean, this generally are this, you know, we are, this is pretty flat. I mean, you get up there, you can definitely get into some terrain or stuff, but nothing that Will hasn't seen. Will's definitely seen terrain, but there's nothing like a a suffocating blanket of uh, conifer and, and cover to really beat down the spirit day after day. How many days did you hunt? I only had two days and I only made one of those days. And uh, so the, um, Bailey and Heather, the second day, were able to hunt together. And that's where, it, where you guys see. I think I, didn't, I haven't been able to see the film yet. Oh, yeah. that's And that's uh, I, I forgot about that. You didn't make it down to Minneapolis. And we were planning on showing it in Duluth coming up here in May. But obviously, that's been, been canceled for the time being. Hopefully, uh, Hopefully we can do that again. But actually, I should say, more importantly, we've been talking about making that film digitally available, especially in light of uh, everybody being stuck at home right now. So that's uh, that could be a possibility be as awesome. well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's let's just kind of cover some of the basics. And I mean, you guys can all speak to this if you if you want. Heather, do you consider yourself a spruce grouse expert? You know, I don't. I definitely don't. I I had the opportunity, AJ reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, I, I really want women to be a part of this and I want to incorporate your thoughts and I want you to kind of tackle the the spruce grass portion of this. Yeah. And I was like, I need to lean on my <laughs> my wingman for sure on this. And I, I absolutely trust, um, you know, you can't pursue them in Michigan. So I immediately knew that it was, if I was going to be a part of it, we were going to have to definitely film and pursue birds in a different state. And Bailey and Meadow are the first people, of course, that I thought of. I have the utmost respect for them. And, you know, they, they definitely are hitting the ground running when it comes to pursuing these birds in their home state. And they know the terrain and they know the the, uh, the ecology of the birds. And it was um, it was a no-brainer for me. So I reached out to them and asked if they would be interested. And obviously, we would love to get together and hunt. And uh, it, was, it was difficult trying to coordinate our schedules. But they were my, my go-to on on the ground data and knowledge that we had um, of the birds, of you know, of their ecology as well. And even like I've, I've pursued them further west in Wyoming, but even uh, yeah. the terrain in Minnesota was was unlike any other terrain that I've had an opportunity to pursue spruce grouse in before, too. So it was it was amazing. It was definitely challenging. But, uh, yeah, that was I was in there. I was in their woods <laughs> at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny, actually. I remember when AJ and I were talking, this would have been quite early before the public whole public grouse project had taken its like final form. We knew that there was going to be a spruce grouse segment. And we were thinking about who that would be. And I think like basically in the same breath, we mentioned Heather Shaw, Meadow Kaufeld, Bailey Peterson, uh-huh. all three of you. And Bailey, we had done we had done the Woodcock banding film with Bailey. That's which is not out yet, but it will be soon. Meadow had done a an RGS film, so we're like, well, let's 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 see if Heather wants to do this. And by basically chance, but not really, we kind of knew it might happen. Heather, uh, oh, we lost Heather. Dang it, she might come back on, but we'll keep going. But Heather basically invited Meadow and Bailey to be a part of the Spruce Grouse film, so. That was excellent and all worked out for the best. Hopefully, Heather can pop back in here. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up. This was a ton of fun. I'm I'm really, really glad the three of us were able to, the four of us, I should say, were able to pull this off and, and make it happen. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. We're going to go back around one more time. Um, the three of you are on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. So Metal, just kind of final thoughts and uh, let people know where they can uh, see more of what you do. Well, final thoughts is get outside. Nature's still open. It never closes. The world keeps turning. And uh, a lot of people, I think, forget about that. It's um, This is time especially that we're in. It's important to remember that you can go outside and find your sunshine. And uh, as far as finding me online, my name is pretty unique, so not hard to find, but uh, typically at Meadow Kalfeld, either on Facebook or Instagram. 
Uh, final thoughts for anyone um, new to the Upland community, just reach out to people and any of our other Upland out there, Uplanders out there, uh, just be embracing. Let's unify together. Let's continue to have a strong voice, loud in our voices for conservation. Stick together. Join your local conservation organization and Rift Grouse Society chapter. Um, you know, be be a part of this new movement that we have in the Upland community with with different generations really coming together and and unifying, thinking outside the box and broadening our horizons. I think it's it's definitely a time to be a part of this community, and, and there's something really special going on nationwide. So, um, especially ladies, reach out to any of us three if you are interested in in becoming uh, interested in wing shooting sports whatsoever, or interested in just getting out and watching dog work, or just learning more about it. We're always happy to take people under our wing, and uh, we've got a, a great resource and a great team behind us of people that can additionally help and expose uh, additional new hunters out to the outdoors. We love it. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at heathershaw00 and on Facebook as well and Rough Grouse Society website information too for my contact. All right. Well, I'm thinking spring and we got, I think we got spots left at our Woodcock Banding Workshop. So pineridgegrousecamp.com if you check to do, to do, check it out, get in touch with me, get in touch with one of the other banding coordinators and come see what it's all about. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you can find me on Facebook, Bailey Peterson, or on Instagram at Bailey01. Which people definitely want to do because you're always posting cool stuff. All right. All right. Meadow, Heather, Bailey, thank you very much for joining me this evening on the Project Open Podcast. It's been a blast. Wish you all the best, and uh, hopefully our paths cross soon, all right? Thank you so much, Nick. All right. See ya. Thanks, Nick. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. Quick reminder, the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonubo Premium Performance Dog Food, Gumleaf USA, CZ USA, Turnbull Restoration, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget, you could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is leave us a rating. Leave the podcast a review in your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, or send us some feedback or guest suggestion. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. yourself podcast if you enjoyed this show then you might want to check out my show as well we highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode we cover all topics related to hunting dogs check out gun doggy yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes